And what is going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of the Jim Bratton Podcast. And now that we are one day into this 2023 NFL Draft, we are officially one round into the draft. What else would I be talking about on the show today other than all of the take the many takeaways that I have from last night's first round and I do have plenty of them. And in addition to just the general takeaways that I have from last night, I'm also going to be breaking down the Tennessee Titans selection that they made last night after deciding to, or inevitably not, trading up in the draft to take a quarterback. I'll get into the intricacies of what I mean by that uh, a little bit more in detail momentarily, but the Tennessee Titans last night decided to stay put at number 11 and take Northwestern offensive lineman Peter Skaronsky, who I think was a very good selection. And again, I will get into the reasons as to why that is the case a little bit more in detail momentarily. But before I get into my biggest winners and losers from last night and what I expect the Skaronsky pick to man for the Titans and what I expect to see them do today in rounds two and three. I want to start off by sort of diving into the rumor mill that was spinning on and on on a continuous loop all day yesterday as we led as we led up to the first round of this NFL draft. Uh, as far as the I mean there were just so many rumors that were circling around yesterday, especially about what the Titans might do. I mean Yesterday, first of all, yesterday was just a bit of a emotional roller coaster for me because before the first round started last night, I woke up thinking to myself, "Okay, my my heart is telling me one thing, but my head is telling me something else." And my heart was telling me that if the Houston Texans passed on taking a quarterback at number two, then, which is ultimately not what they decided to do, by the way, just spoiler spoiler alert for those who missed the first round of the draft last night. Uh, if the Texans passed on taking a quarterback at number two, then then the Arizona Cardinals were picking 
who were picking right behind them at number three, that draft pick, the value of that draft pick would just go off the charts for quarterback needy teams because the Cardinals are obviously set at the quarterback position, right? They've got Kyler Murray and... Of course, one of those teams that was rumored, and again, there were a lot of rumors that were coming out about this yesterday to the point where I and a lot of other Titans fans fell victim to the rumor mill and thought to ourselves, oh my gosh, it's it's happening, everybody stay calm, You you all know the the uh, sort of meme from The Office, right, where Steve Carell walks out into the hallway and they're they're doing this mock fire drill or or whatever, and Steve Carell slash Michael Scott comes bursting out of the office and says, oh my God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Everybody stay calm. Uh, Yeah, that was me yesterday after seeing... All of the reporting that's been coming that came out yesterday about the Cardinals possibly moving down from number three in this draft with the Tennessee Titans in particular. And so I fell victim to those those rumors. I'm not gonna lie. And this was, of course, if you all, you all will recall me sort of predicting this on the show before the draft that one of the predictions that I had was I can see a scenario where the Tennessee Titans, if they are so convinced, and again, they're had to be, I think there would have had to, to have been a broad consensus in the Titans draft room on whether they were going to end up doing this or not as far as moving up to take a quarterback is concerned. Everybody had to be 100% on the same page. If not, it's just not worth trading up at all. And of course, all of the reporting said that Everybody was in lockstep. Rand Carthon, Mike Vrabel, you name it. Everybody was in lockstep on trading up. And so that, of course, didn't end up happening. And, of course, I'd predicted that I could see a scenario where the Titans move up to three with the Cardinals just based on the fact of the connections that the coaching staff, more than the front office staff, but the coaching staff had with Arizona. Of course, Monty Ossenfort is, who is now the general manager of the Cardinals, was previously the one of the top executives in the Titans front office, and so there was the obvious connection there, and if that prediction had 
come to fruition, I, I would begin to ask myself the question of, am, am I the oracle? I mean, did I say that, that this trade would happen? Did I say that Lamar Jackson would sign with the Baltimore Ravens? Which also ended up happening before the draft, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Because, mainly because it didn't make sense for Odell Beckham to sign a, sign a one-year deal to not play with Lamar Jackson. That just did not make any sense whatsoever to me. But all of those little sidebars aside, that trade did not end up happening. And the Houston Texans stayed put at number two and took C.J. Stroud. So that sort of nipped the Titans' draft plans to, and I, I do think that they can, and Carthon and Vrabel can say whatever they want to about whether they wanted to move up in the draft to take a quarterback or not. I absolutely think that they did want to do that. And... Of course, hindsight being 2020, I have to accept the fact, and I was obviously sort of disappointed that C.J. Stroud was not drafted by the Titans last night, and I'm also even more disappointed by the fact that the Titans are going to have to face C.J. Stroud twice a year now. They're also going to have to draft, going to have to draft, they're also going to have to face uh, Anthony Richardson twice a year now after the Indianapolis Colts drafted Anthony Richardson at number four. And so part of me was sort of disappointed about the Titans missing out on one of the remaining top three quarterbacks in the draft, but of course, hindsight being 2020, I have to sort of just move on and look past that. So that's got my heart out of the way. Here is where my head comes into play. Of course, I mentioned the whole my heart was telling me one thing, but my head was telling me something else thing earlier. You remember that? Here's where my head comes back into play as it relates to the Tennessee Titans draft last night. I'm a big fan of the Peter Skaronsky Selection. I think after missing out on the chance to move up to number three to take whichever quarterback the Houston Texans did not or would have not decided to take, uh, I do think that they did the smart thing to stay put and take 
Peter Skronsky at number 11. I also would have been on board if, if they had decided to trade down and acquire more draft picks, which is obviously something that the Titans are in desperate need of, having had only six of them coming into this draft. So they're in a desperate need for draft capital at the moment, and frankly still are, even after picking Peter Skronsky last night. But perhaps they will try to remedy that tonight. Who knows? There's a lot of talent still left on the draft board, which I will get into a little bit more probably at the very end of the show. And a lot of big names, a lot of really big names are still left on the board. But if the Titans do not decide to stay put at their current second round pick, and I believe they are picking at, let's see, I think 41 in the second round and pick number 72 in the third round tonight, if I'm not mistaken on that. So there's a lot of options for them. They could decide to stay put with those picks, or they could decide to move up or down, depending on the way that their board is stacked. And really, really at this point, it's all about what the teams have stacked on their dra- on their individual draft boards, because frankly, everybody's mock drafts have been thrown, crumpled up and set on fire or thrown out the window at this point. None of that really matters at this point, quite frankly. And it's sort of funny, and I'm sort of glad that I was able to do this. I was sort of glad that I was able to get my mock draft sort of squared away and done with before the trade between the Green Bay Packers and the New York Jets uh, came to fruition this week because that trade involved the swapping of draft picks in the first round. And so if that news were to were to break while I was in the middle of doing my mock draft, I would have been like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? What are we doing here? But in a way, I'm sort of glad that the AA run, as he is called, uh, trade news did not interfere with the Jim Bratton podcast mock draft uh, while it was going on. And so I'm sort of glad that that is what ended up playing out. But that's just another little quick sidebar that I have about mock drafts. And another thought that popped into my head last night before I get back into Peter Skronsky and his fit with the Tennessee Titans, are we at the point now where we need to just throw out doing mock drafts and 
NCAA March Madness brackets. And this may be a little bit of a rhetorical slash joking question because I'm, of course, going to keep doing both of those things, especially with the March Madness brackets due to the financial implications that are involved with that, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but just the thought popped in my head of, are we just at the point now where where we need to just stop doing both of those things? Because the draft got pretty weird last night in a lot of ways, and I'll get to those a little bit more in detail uh, as we move forward with the show today. But coming back, let me come back to Peter Skaronsky and his fit with the Tennessee Titans. I think, as I said before, this was definitely the right move after missing out on the possibility of trading up to Number three, to go get a quarterback, I think this is by far the biggest need that the Tennessee Titans had was solidifying the offensive line, and frankly, I was a little surprised that the Chicago Bears did not take Peter Skronsky at number 10, just based on the Mainly the Northwestern connection to Chicago. And obviously, when you're in a position to take a player as talented as Peter Skronsky is, you know, the the geography aspect does not necessarily hurt either. I'm not saying that you should draft a guy based solely on geography and where he played college ball, obviously, but it just doesn't hurt anything at the same time. And so, and also you've got to take into consideration that the Bears had a very large contingent of personnel executives and coaches at the Northwestern Pro Day. And so, I would, I and a lot of other experts out there, which I guess I have to use the word experts even more in quotations just based on how wrong they were last night in a lot of ways, but the indication that I got was that the Bears were going to take Peter Skronsky at number 10. They chose not to do that. They chose to take uh, Darnell Wright, VFL, by the way, Darnell Wright, at number 10. And so the Tennessee Titans were sort of blessed with the gift of Peter Skronsky, who many of the experts out there, uh, a lot of them had pegged as their top offensive lineman in the draft, and I was one of them, I might add. It was a little bit 
Actually, I, I guess I would have put he and Paris Johnson at 1A and 1B, but based on the fact that Paris Johnson was no longer there, he of course went at number 6 to, to uh, ironically, Arizona, the team that the Titans were rumored to be trading up with, he was already gone, and so Peter Skaronsky was a very nice, and I'm going to use this phrase a little bit loosely here, consolation prize for the Titans. Now, how does Peter Skaronsky fit in, you might ask? Well, I think there's a number of things that the Titans could do on the offensive line, potentially. As I mentioned before, Peter Skronsky can play both guard and tackle, and one of the interesting things that I saw on Twitter last night in regards to this pick is that because of the versatility that Peter Skronsky brings to the table, he can potentially compete with Andre Dillard, the big free agent signing for that left tackle job. And the interesting thing that I saw on Twitter was that the loser of that job, whether it be Dillard or Skaronsky, would fill in at the left guard spot. And so I think a Offensive line of from left to right here. Let's just, let's just say Andre Dillard wins the left tackle spot, hypothetically. And you would be looking at an offensive line from left to right of Andre Dillard, Peter Skronsky at left guard, Aaron Brewer at center, who I'm not necessarily the hugest fan of. I mean, I think Aaron Brewer's definitely a better fit at center than guard, which is where he ended up having to play last year. But, of course, the center spot was held down by Ben Jones, who's no longer with the Titans. Uh, I think Aaron Brewer's just always been a better fit at center. That's where he's played the majority of his career. And so, as I mentioned before, everything that the experts have to say and all of their thoughts and feelings on individual guys are, that's all pretty much gone at this point. It's really all about what the teams are wanting to do. And I think... Mike Vrabel, as stubborn as he is in a lot of ways, is going to come to the conclusion of, I want Aaron Brewer at center, which is not the worst thing in the world, I will say. So, left side of the line, Dillard, Skaronsky, Brewer, and then... You have Daniel Brunskill at right guard, the big free agent acquisition from San Francisco. You slot him in 
at right guard, and he can also play tackle as well. But let's just say for this argument, we line him up at right guard, and the right tackle spot is manned by Nicholas Petit-Frere, the third-round draft pick from last year, who I'm a somewhat of a fan of. I mean, he was okay, and there's obviously a lot of room for even more growth and development there. But you look at that offensive line that I just laid out to you, Dillard, Skaronsky, Brewer, Brunskill, and NPF. That is by far, on paper at least, a much better offensive line for the Tennessee Titans than the train wreck that we saw last year where Dennis Daly, I mean, my gosh, you, t- you talk about a dumpster fire, human turnstile, just what any sort of negative buzz phrase that you want to throw in about Dennis Daly and thank heavens that he is no longer on this Tennessee Titans roster. I say and I say that both as a fan of the Tennessee Titans and also as an analyst who can also speak even more objectively about how much of a train wreck that Titans offensive line was last year with Dennis Daly at left tackle. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What a train wreck he was. But having said that, this 2023 version of the Tennessee Titans offensive line is, I think, going to be far and away, at least on paper, much better than the train wreck that we saw on the field in 2022 for the Tennessee Titans. And so, the competition, going back to the competition for a little bit, I think before I get into the winners and losers from last night, as it relates to the Titans O-line competition, they're obviously going through a bit of a transition period. They have a new offensive line coach coming in in Jason Hotelling, and he is going to want to put his stamp on the Titans O-line. I believe he was on staff last year as one of the offensive assistants, focusing on the offensive line in particular. But he's going to sort of want to fit fit the top five guys that he can on the end, I should say, the starting rotation for the Titans. And 
Another big thing is keeping those guys healthy because one of the reasons why the Titans' offensive line was such a train wreck last year, other than the obvious Dennis Daly thing. Gosh, I crack up every time I say the name Dennis Daly. How is this man a starting tackle in the NFL? It blows my mind. It really does blow my mind. It really does. Because he was so terrible. But... That was also not helped by the fact that hardly anybody on the Titans' offensive line could stay healthy last year. And that's obviously going to be a a huge area of emphasis for the Titans. I think that Peter Skaronsky is probably not going to be the only offensive lineman the Titans pick up in this draft. And this is where the sort of maneuvering around the draft board comes into play a little more because I think if the Titans want to add more depth to the O-line, then they're probably going to have to move down to acquire however many more offensive linemen they want to pick because six with all of the other needs that they have, wide receiver in particular, uh, six picks is not necessarily enough, in my opinion, to stock up just on offensive linemen. I think that some trades are going to have to be involved, but that is just something that ran Carthon and Mike Rabel are going to have to figure out uh, starting tonight, actually, when round two begins. All right, winners and losers from last night. Uh, As I mentioned before, Lamar Jackson is one of them for having signed the big Five-year deal, I believe it was, and I do not have the contract figures in front of me at the moment, but I believe it was a five-year contract for Lamar Jackson. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, this is something that just made total sense, right? Because Mainly because of the Odell thing, and so... Lamar and the Ravens are definitely big, both big winners from last night. As far as the winning teams of the draft goes, by far the top winner from last night were the Philadelphia Bulldogs, excuse me, I mean the Philadelphia Eagles. What what did I say? Philadelphia Bulldogs? <laughs> Freudian slip. Let me tell you why that's the case. Because you will recall last year, the Philadelphia Eagles sort of hit big on two of their top draft picks. 
those picks being Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean. Where did they both play college ball? University of Georgia. You fast forward to this year and how the Eagles were able to win the first round this year. They, first of all, I have to give a lot of credit to Howie Roseman, Trader Howie, as he's known in a lot of circles for all of the trades that he produced last night. He starts out at pick number 10. I believe it was, yes, I I believe it was number 10 because the Bears had to, the Bears were picking at 9, I'm sorry, sorry about this pause, I had to sort of review the draft order from last night before getting even more into detail, into detail, excuse me, the Eagles were picking 10. Bears were picking ninth. They decide, they being the Eagles, decide to move up to number nine to select Jalen Carter, the big-time defensive lineman from Georgia. And despite all of the obvious concerns that were there with Jalen Carter, did I not say on the mock draft edition of the show that someone was going to draft Jalen Carter in the first round and very early on in the first round. I believe I did. And that's ultimately what ended up happening. And of course, the Eagles also had a second first round draft pick last night. That was Nolan Smith, the edge rusher that they selected at number 30. And of course, the obvious question from there is what do Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith have in common and how do they relate to Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean? Where did all all four of those guys play college ball? University of Georgia, i.e. the, that is the why I'm referring to them as the Philadelphia Bulldogs, and that is also why, far and away, the Philadelphia Eagles were the I don't want to say the only winners from last night's draft, but just based on what Howie Roseman was able to do, I mean, you move up to number nine to get Jalen Carter, and you do not, and simultaneously, you do not have to give up your second first round draft pick. I mean, that's why, why do you think they call him Trader Howie? in the first place. That was just remarkable drafting, and it really blows my mind that 
Chip Kelly, back when he was the head coach of the Eagles, pushed Howie Roseman sort of out the door uh, back during that time because, of course, Chip Kelly wanted to get all of his guys to run his system, and that's just not how you build teams in the NFL nowadays. Howie Roseman is clearly a genius in that way. And just the fact that he was not able to give up, he was not forced into giving away his second first round pick last night, I think speaks to his skills as a general manager. And so the Philadelphia Bulldogs slash Eagles were far and away the top winners from last night. Uh, Some of the other winners from last night that I have that I'm going to get into very, very quickly. As much as it pains me to say this, the Houston Texans were also big winners from last night because not only do they get C.J. Stroud at number two, they also, of course, them having another second, another first round draft pick as well, were able to move up to number three from number 12, I believe, and take Will Anderson Jr., the edge rusher from Alabama. Certainly that's somebody that new head coach D'Amico Ryans has a lot of familiarity with. Of course, D'Amico Ryans having played uh, at Alabama as well way, way back in the day at this point. And so not only do you get your quote-unquote franchise quarterback, you also get, in my mind and in a lot of other people's minds as well, make of that what you will just based on the fact of, as I mentioned before, everybody else's opinions being thrown out the window at this point. A lot of people had Will Anderson pegged as the top defensive player in this draft. So not only do you get your quarterback, but you also get the top defensive player in the draft in back-to-back picks. And so that was a very, very big win for the Houston Texans last night, as much as it pains me to say that. Uh, And... Another big winner that I have, I guess I'm going to give an honorable mention to Seattle for not only the Dev- the Devin Witherspoon-, Witherspoon pick at number five, sort of rebuilding the Legion of Boom, as it were, on defense, but you also get the top receiver in the draft in a lot of people's eyes, in Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, who probably could have gone a lot higher than he ended up going at number 20. And the wide receiver situation was so interesting last night. I'll get into why I say that a little bit more 
in detail here in a minute, but before I do that very quickly, let me touch on some of the big losers from last night. And I'm going to stay with the team theme here. Uh, the Detroit Lions, what are you guys doing? You take a running back who probably could have been selected in the early portion of the second round. You trade back to, let's see, number 12. So right after the Titans, you trade back to number 12 to take Jameer Gibbs from Alabama. Good player, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if they were thinking that Bijan was going to be, I think they were probably hoping that Bijan could have been available at number 12. Obviously, Bijan Robinson from Texas went number 8 to Atlanta last night. It's another big win. That's another big win for Arthur Smith based on the all of the offensive weapons that he's drafted over the last uh, three drafts now. Uh, but Detroit, what are you guys doing? Drafting Jameer Gibbs at 12 when you probably could have gotten him early on in the second round? What are you doing with that? What What are you doing taking Jack Campbell, who I'm also a very big fan of, and frankly, I'm a little sad that he's off the board at this point because I thought he would have, would have been an ideal se selection for the Titans at 41 tonight if they decided to stay there. What are you doing drafting him at 18 when you also could have gotten him in the second round, early on in the second round, what are you doing? And I'm, a, I'm of course, a, as I've said on the show many times, I'm, of course, a big fan of head coach Dan Campbell. He is obviously a football guy, and... Lions fans obviously hope that he knows what he is doing by making these selections, but to me, they obviously just didn't make hardly any sense, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, but as of right now, I don't really think that I am. But only time will tell, as we all know. And by far the biggest loser from last night is an individual who I've begun referring to and will probably keep referring to as the real life Bo Callahan. For those of you who have seen the who have seen the movie Draft Day, uh, you are of course, familiar with the Bo Callahan 
story. And of course, for those of you who have not seen Draft Day, I would highly encourage you to do so. It's really, when you think about it, it's really about more than just football because of the deeper story that's involved in the movie Draft Day. But the real life Bo Callahan, Will Levis, and I'm a little disappointed in the fact that I predicted all four of the top quarterbacks, Young, Stroud, Levis, and Anthony Richardson, to be selected in the top ten last night. That did not end up happening, and not only did Will Levis not get selected in the top 10 last night. He did not get selected in the entire first round last night. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens to him, with him and what sort of teams could find themselves in a position to take Will Levis that probably did not think that they would have been in a position to do last night because they all thought that he would have been would have been gone at that time. And I'm looking at the Los Angeles Rams in particular when I say that. Hopefully it's not the Tennessee Titans. Wink wink nudge nudge. And looking back on it, I guess we and when I say we, I'm mainly giving a shout out to a lot of the experts for sort of being wrong on this, but maybe they should have seen that Will, Will Levis just isn't very good. Maybe I should have seen it. The only reason, the probably one of the only reasons why I thought Will Levis, and to be fair, yes, I was wrong on this, as was everybody else, apparently. One of the reasons why I thought Will Levis would go in the top 10 was because of the value that's placed nowadays on the quarterback position and the simple fact that you have to have a young franchise quarterback particularly the ones that are drafted in the first round. That is usually what ends up happening. You have to find that guy and develop your team around him. But when you turn on the tape and when you even look at the off the, off the actual playing field stuff, when you look at Will Levis's body language, for example, and I've mentioned on the show that the body language Will Levis showed does not scream, I am a franchise quarterback. You look at that, and you also look at the tape, especially from the... And I know I'm going to sound like a bit of a homer when I say this, but I can also look at this a little bit more objectively than a lot of other Tennessee fans can. Uh, 
The Tennessee game in particular stands out because Will Levis threw for, I believe, 98 yards in that game and also threw for three interceptions. He was absolutely terrible in SEC play throughout his career. And you also look at the reason why Will Levis had to transfer to Kentucky in the first place. The man could not beat out Sean Clifford. Who, who is Sean Clifford, you may ask? Well, I think, I think I've sort of made my point because the, the casual college football fan probably has no idea who Sean Clifford is. Just for the record, he was the quarterback at Penn State the last two years that Will Levis could not beat out, which is the reason why Will Levis had to end up transferring to Kentucky. So you look at all of those things, and every, I, guess, I guess at that point, everybody should have said to themselves, maybe Will Levis just isn't very good, or isn't as good as a lot of the scouts and experts make him out to be. And that was painfully obvious in the fact that nobody selected Will Levis last night. And so, by far, Will Levis is the biggest loser of the draft last night, in my opinion. And so, it's just going to be interesting to see where he falls, as I mentioned before, there are going to be a few teams that thought, well, Levis was not going to be available when they were selecting. He now could be available. It's going to be interesting to see where he ends up. It's also going to be interesting to see if Hendon Hooker gets drafted ahead of him. And just as a Vols fan, especially, I will be laughing my you-know-what-off if that ends up, if that does end up happening. Now, really quickly, before I get out of here today, coming back to what I think the Titans should do tonight, because there are still plenty of very talented football players left on the draft board. Let me rattle off a few of these names in particular, that I have written down here. Will Levis, Hendon Hooker, Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, and Darnell Washington, the big tight end from Georgia, just to name a few. And there's also a lot of very, very talented edge rushers as well that are still on the board. As far as what I think the Titans could do, they could try to finagle around the board a little more. I, as I mentioned before, I think that is probably a smart thing to do, especially if you want to add 
even more offensive linemen to go along with Peter Skronsky just for general depth purposes. But the Titans also have a glaring need at wide receiver. And despite the sort of mini-run that went last night with the wide receivers going, let's see, 20, 21, 22, and 23, which is really interesting to me based on the fact that no receiver had been taken at that point. But I digress. Despite that sort of mini-run that went on, there are plenty of wide receivers left in this draft class, and this may be a little bit of an unpopular opinion here, but I think this is a pretty deep wide receiver class. I know a lot of experts may feel differently in that regard, but as I've mentioned before, everything those experts say has to be thrown out the window at this point. And I think this is a very, very deep class of wide receivers. And it's going to be interesting to see if Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt are high enough on the Titans draft board to the point where they feel the need to take them, whether it be at 41 or 72 or wherever they end up taking a receiver at. They could very well take two receivers tonight for all we know. They could trade out of the second and third rounds entirely. I I don't think that is going to end up happening. I think it would be pretty dumb for the Titans to end up doing that. And I think there are are enough talented players left on the board uh, not to warrant them doing that. But I do think a big area of emphasis tonight for the Tennessee Titans is going to be wide either wide receiver, which is obviously something that the Titans need to address in addition to offensive line or trading down to acquire more draft picks because as I mentioned before when you only have six picks that is not even close to being enough draft capital to be able to sort of build your team the way you would ideally like to build your team and so if I had to give my two predictions as to what the Titans do tonight, I'm either going with the option of trading down to pick up more draft picks, acquire more draft capital, or focusing on the wide receiver position. Because as I mentioned before, there's plenty of wide receivers left on the board. I think this is an extremely deep class of wide receivers. And, you know, the v- the 
the Tennessee homer in me is going to have a very big smile on my face if one of the if the Titans end up selecting one of the two big receivers from Tennessee in Jalen Hyatt and or Cedric Tillman. If they end up with both of them, I'd be even happier. But that that may be a bit of a str- bit of a reach for me to go that far. But those are just the two predictions that I have for what the Titans end up doing tonight. And with all of that being said, it's going to be very interesting how the Titans approach tonight. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens to Bo Callahan, excuse me, Will Levis. And there's still, as I mentioned before, a lot of very, very talented football players left for the taking. So it's going to be very interesting night. So get your popcorn ready, ladies and gentlemen. But that is going to be it for me today. I want to thank you all so much for watching and listening to this edition of the Jim Bratton Podcast. I very much appreciate it, and I will see you soon.